Welcome to Dreamers to Leaders, Keeping It Real with Melody podcast. Melody is a born dreamer who started from being a flight attendant and worked her way up into now a tech fashion trendsetter, thought leader, and seasoned entrepreneur in multiple successful ventures. This podcast is for the awakened dreamer. Industry icons will share their humble beginnings up to the leaders they are today. Let's all learn and be inspired. Together, we can all prosper. Hello and welcome to the Dreamers to Leaders podcast. It's a podcast for the dreamers, more importantly, the doers. I'm your host, Melody. Today we have a special guest. He is a business and personal coach, a professional speaker, a business consultant, and an author of several books. His latest one is called Purpose Driven Achievement, which is a common sense approach in using purpose, energy, planning, and execution to help one effectively reach their business goals and personal dreams. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Gary L. Smith. Hi, Gary. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's nice to be with you, Melody. Hope you're having a great day today. I am. Well, let's dive in. If you could walk us through how it is, because your your work talks a lot about uh, purpose, finding one's purpose. Can you walk us through why finding your purpose is is crucial uh, in achieving anything in life? Sure. Uh, This is something that I've been focusing on for a number of years now, as far as helping people find their purpose. And what I've discovered in working with people over the years is when I talk to them and talk to them about what it is that they do, they're very animated. They can tell me all about what they do. But when I ask them, well, why? Why are you doing that? Why is that important to you? I get a lot of deer in the headlights kinds of looks. It's like, well, I've been doing this for 25 years. I've got to put food on the table, got to pay the bills, that sort of stuff. And it's like, you know, okay, but is that all there is to life? Are you really following what you're passionate about? Or are you just like most people getting out there, getting on the hamster wheel day after day after day? Let's dig a little bit deeper and let's look at things like, what are you passionate about? What are your skill sets? How can you combine those things to add value to the world and discover why you're really here? And, and, and in the end, when we look back at it, you know, what kind of a legacy do you want to leave? What kind of impact do you want to have had on the world? So to me, uh, the, the how of you know, what we do and the what of what we do doesn't matter until we understand why we're doing it. And that why is, is our purpose. So, so uh, listening to what you're saying, when people say they want to find their purpose, and, and also those that would say um, it's important to know their why, uh, is that then basically one and the same, Gary? No, no, actually it isn't. Uh, I look at it as two separate things. Our purpose is what we were created to do. The why is sort of the energy behind the purpose, if you will. It's almost like our purpose is the vehicle that we're going to drive to our destination. The why is the gas in the tank. 
Um, you know, so we have to know what it is that we need to, to do. We've got to discover that. But once we've discovered it, then we have to say, okay, why is that so important? Why am I so passionate about this? Because um, you can have a purpose and you can be on the road to fulfilling your purpose. But when you hit those brick walls, when you hit those difficult times, like all of us do as we're, as we're working through uh, issues in life, when we hit that brick wall and you wake up in the morning, you say, why in the world am I doing this? You better have an answer because if not, you're going to start falling by the wayside and you're never going to achieve your purpose. So I think they're two separate, uh, they're probably the best way to describe it is two, two sides of the same coin. So it's basically, um, it has to go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other type of thing. Correct. Or in order for it to be effective, both components need to be there. Yes, right? yes, absolutely. Um, so with, um, with thousands of books out there, Gary, that talk about finding one's purpose, how does your coaching differ from what's out there and really fleshing out, you know, how one could effectively uh, find their, their true purpose in life? You know, it's interesting that you asked that question because uh, I wrote a book called Purpose Driven Achievement that I published last year. And as I was doing the research for that, one of the things that I did was I actually went on Amazon and I did a search on the word purpose. And there are 150,000 books out there, give or take, uh, you know, that deal with how to find your purpose in life. And I sat back and, and was talking with some of my mentors and a couple of them said, well, if there's that many books out there that are on purpose, why on earth do you want to write another one? It doesn't make any sense. And I said, well, but let's look at the statistics on the other side. I'm an engineer by training. So I'm that concrete, sequential, bring the evidence type of person. I said, there's 150,000 books out there on purpose. And yet when you look at the statistics, 80% of the people are unhappy with what they're doing. They're not enjoying life, they're not fulfilled, they don't feel they're getting in life where, where they wanna be. So I said, that tells me somebody has missed the mark here somewhere. Mark. You know, and, and so that was what really drove me to start getting involved in purpose. And to answer your other question, as far as what, you know, what do I do? How, how, do I, uh, how am I different than other people? I don't bring a canned approach to anything. I believe that each individual is unique in the way they do things. And so it's really about establishing rapport, building a relationship, finding out where their head and their heart uh, are at, and then beginning to be more of a, not this is what you need to do, but let's walk this journey together. Allow me to be your guide on this process. And I'm going to sit back and I'm going to ask you lots of questions. And eventually you're going to come to the conclusion of what you need to do. Mm -hmm. So it, uh, it truly is a, a collaboration, right? So you can't find a one size fit all solution. <laughs> to... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, so 150,000, and that's just in English, I would imagine, because uh, there is a very popular uh, Japanese term called uh, Ikigai, right? And right. that's also, have you heard of it? Um, ikigai? Yes. Yes. So it really also talks about, you know, what makes one get up, uh, you know, each day and, and do what they feel that they were um, created <laughs> uh, to do, you know, to make a difference. And, and you talked about that. That's the intersection of the skills, the passion and the value. So.
So imagine 150,000 in English and what more <laughs> out there, right? Exactly. Uh, and, you know, that's sad to hear 80, 80% of the population, but maybe that would be more, more U.S. or more Northern America or more, because I came from Asia and it seems like a lot of people there are, are happy, <laughs> happier. <laughs> uh, and um, I also was in a, in Iceland two years ago, I also find a lot of people there surprisingly seem quite happy, but I, I guess to your point, seemingly happy and real happiness could be that differentiating factor why that 80% is there, right? I, I think that's I think that's part of it, but I but I think too to your point of you know uh, places like Asia and Iceland, I think a lot of uh, a lot of people's ability to feel fulfilled is dependent upon the culture that they grow up in, right? Uh, and and how they're how they're raised. What are the what are the foundational beliefs that they're taught when they're younger that uh, that allow them to pursue and sort of even though they may not have arrived at their destination, they've been taught to enjoy the journey. So they're fulfilled in where they are and what they're doing. Yeah, and that reminds me uh, a, place in, uh, a place in Nepal where instead of measuring uh, the gross national product or the GDP, uh, they measure uh, the society's happiness, right? So that index to measure, uh, measure that. So... And as the old saying goes, you get what you measure. You get what you, know, you measure. And yes. And I need to be quite good at that. <laughs> a, lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of help there. Um, but uh, also on the, on the topic on uh, purpose, most organizations, big or small, uh, Gary, they have it in their website, in their staff handbook, um, you know, their mission and their vision. Uh, as a company, how does finding one's purpose intersect with that? That is very common in uh, in corporate America, or I guess that would be global. How does that uh, come into play with with purpose, mission, and vision? I I think uh, we can look at that on several levels, but I tend to look at it on uh, you know the leadership of the organization has established the, you know, the mission and the vision for the company, but then do they take the time to look down and as they're, as an example, as they're hiring and as they're staffing, are they looking for people whose purpose in life aligns with what the vision of the company is? Are they doing that or not? And, and I think what happens much of the time is that leadership misses that part of the uh, that part of the equation, because leaders are looking at it through, through the lens of we're in charge, rather than leadership being our responsibility is taking care of those in our charge and finding out what it is that they want in life, and helping them within within what the company has to offer to achieve and fulfill their dreams and their purposes, and ultimately build loyalty in in that process. So I think that's one facet that most companies completely miss uh, because they're not deliberately uh, aligned with it. And I'll, I'll give you a quick example of that. Um, one of my daughters uh, lived in uh, an apartment building here in Connecticut, a high rise in New Haven, Connecticut. And it was owned and managed by a company called Bizzuto Realty. 
And when I went there, I was so impressed with the leadership and the concierge service and everything that they had. And literally, Melody, I could not be there for three months. And when I walked in the front door, whoever was on the front desk would look at me and say, hey, Mr. Smith, it's really good to see you again. Been a while since you've been here. You know, your daughter's up in her apartment. Shall I let you know that, you know, let her know that you're here? And I was so impressed with that. And then my daughter moved from New Haven to Boston and she was in another Bazudo property and the business model was exactly the same. Uh, I walked in there, people knew who I was, they were friendly. Uh, whenever she submitted a maintenance request, the maintenance guys were right there. They took care of everything. They cleaned up after themselves. They left nice notes on her counter uh, to say that they had been here and fixed things. Um, and then the third time it happened was my, uh, one of my other daughters who was living in New York City moved to Boston also, lived in yet another Bazudo property and the business model was exactly the same. And so finally I, I got to meet the, uh, the property manager of this third property and I said, okay, give it up. What is it, that, you know, what is it that you guys are doing differently and how do you have this consistency? And she said, it comes directly from our CEO. He said, our CEO, told us that when you hire people for a position, you always hire a resume. But when you fire someone, you're firing a personality. Hire the personality. We're in the customer service business. Hire people who have a heart for serving others. We can teach them the things that they need to know, but get the people who have the heart that we need to have, and we will always have this consistent level of service. And that's the way we need to approach things in business today. Yeah, as they say, um, you can always teach competence, right? Or skill sets, right. but it's the personality, the behavior and the character uh, that you just can't teach, you know, right? <laughs> so, um, so basically what you're saying here is uh, knowing when you hire, it's important to know the purpose or what's kind of the core of, um, of, of the employees that you try to bring in your organization, whether it aligns with, with the company's uh, purpose and, and, and vision and all that. Otherwise, the service won't be, won't be the same, right? Or the experience, the customer experience would be different. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so with regards to tips in, uh, you know, for employers who want to make sure, so aside from, from hiring uh, based on personality and, and character uh, and all that, what else would you suggest for an employer and for our business audience, uh, business owners out there who want to make sure that each of their uh, team members are consistently being engaged in providing that remarkable uh, customer experience? I think that it's really important to, for the leaders of the organization to learn to treat their employees as they want their employees to treat their customers. Um, and, and how do you do that? I think, uh, I think it's a combination of empathy and communication. Um, they, you know, they have to be engaged with their people. They have to know what's going on. Uh, back in the days when I was running organizations for other people before I went off on my own, uh, I would run organizations that had 150, 200 people spread across, you know, 24 hour shifts uh, in the business. And yet 
as the as the head of the organization, I knew every one of those people by name. I knew their husbands, I knew their wives, I knew their children. Uh, and I spent time on the floor every day talking with those people and relating with them. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that's missed. I mean, a classic example is, let's say that you have someone in a sales position and that individual has been missing their numbers. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, leaders will walk into the, the person's office and they would look at you and say, Melody, you've missed your numbers for the last three quarters. If this performance continues, I can't guarantee what's going to happen. Now, when a leader takes that sort of an approach, what kind of incentive and excitement do you have about coming back to work tomorrow morning? Mm -hmm. But if that leader walks in and says, Melody, you've missed your numbers for the last three quarters, I'm concerned about you, I'm worried, what's wrong? Talk to me about what's going on, how can I help? It's, it, it's the same, same issue, but it's completely reframed so that you feel that you can open up, that you can, you know, that you can share with someone and that they're going to help you process whatever it is that you're dealing with in life. Um, and, and when people understand that level of caring, not only will they respond positively to leadership and do everything that needs to be done, but that caring and that empathy gets passed on to the customer. I agree with you, Gary. I think one of the main uh, ingredients to be uh, an effective leader is having that uh, empathy, right? Um, so we talked about, um, I think you have a book, Customer Conundrum. Uh, and I think you touched on why customer service is not a department. Can you expand on that, Gary? Sure. Uh, I mean, it's, it, customer service is not a department because I think that's what happens a lot in industry. It's like, I let customer service deal with it. Uh, and yet, if we really want to have, if our goal, if our vision as leaders of the organization is to create an organization that really fulfills the needs of our customers, we have to have a customer-centric business. Everybody in the I company agree. has to be on board with that. Um, back in the days when I was running companies for other people, uh, we would have customers come in and we would be talking about new products that we were going to build for them. And much of the time, I had machine operators from, uh, from our floor on, on those meetings to be part of that discussion. And some of the leaders in the organization were saying, well, why in the world would you do that? And I said, because those folks are the ones who make the product every day. They know where the bodies are buried. They know where all the problems are. They can see it. And know, you know, so that's number one. Number two is when we allow them to build a relationship and build rapport and trust with our customers and our customers understand that right down to the level of the person packing that product that's gonna go out the back door, these people know what's going on with their product and they deeply care about the, the quality of the product that they're making and they want to deliver nothing but excellence to the customer that reinforces with the customer that this whole organization is 1000% there for them. I, I, I agree. As a matter of fact, coincidentally, I just uh, wrote an article. Uh, it's called Price Versus Value, and um, it touched on uh, customer service uh, a lot. Uh, and I think with any organization, if you miss that, uh, if you miss that mark on being uh customer centric, then it's either you're just 
floating, surviving, mediocre, and that makes the difference between someone that's really doing phenomenal, right? With their numbers, with a reputation, uh, etc. And it's not even um, it's not even just in today's age, you know, with social media, especially with social media, everything is just amplified what thousand times with um, if someone is happy or unhappy, it just um, it, it spreads like a wildfire, right? So it could be a double-edged sword, but with being customer centric and having that word of mouth, I mean, personally with, with, with my businesses, uh, I have one, uh, we, it's a family business where really marketing dollar is almost zero, you know, very little, but it's the word of mouth that for a decade or so, you know, it's been, it's been, um, you know, successful, it's profitable, and it's really just being, being that, being uh, customer centric and, and providing uh, that um, customer service, right? Um, so let's talk about, um, again, going back to the purpose. How does one, uh, with obviously a human being with their emotion, so looking at one's emotion and the logical side of a, of a human being, how can you fuse that in order to find out uh, one's purpose? I, I think it really, like you were, we were talking about before, it really revolves around really getting to know the individual and realizing that, you know, that there are, there are two parts to our brain. You know, there is the, there's the neocortex, which is the, the logical part of how we approach things. So when you're thinking about buying something, the neocortex is looking at how much does it cost? What does it look like? Uh, you know, am I getting enough value for the money that I'm spending? But then you have the limbic system and the limbic system is saying, but it's pink and it's pretty and I want it. Uh, and so you have to you have to look at where people are on that spectrum. Um, as I mentioned before, I'm a classically trained engineer, so I tend to be very unemotional in some of those decisions that I make because I'm just looking at it from the standpoint of you know what are what are the numbers telling me? But there are other people who are 100% on the emotional uh, buying. Uh, and so what we have to do is find out where in, in between those two bookends are you and how do we moderate some of that? Because you can get, uh, if you're very emotionally involved, you can get very, very excited about something. But if you get excited about something and you don't have the skill sets to be able to make it happen, you're in for a letdown. And so it's looking at those things uh, and, and really trying to understand where on that scale and how do we shift people's mindset a little bit and, and in some cases get them to be a little bit more excited about it and in other cases get them to be a little bit more logical about what's going on. Mm -hmm. So your background uh, as an engineer and dealing with business owners, how do you balance and how do you fuse uh, or merge your the science part of the engineering, your engineering background and the art, the art of um, of entrepreneurship, how do you balance that, and how how would you help uh, clients with 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 that? Uh, the first thing I try to do is just you know set the technical aspects of things aside. Uh, I want to really get emotionally involved with what's going on, and I want to understand. Uh, you know, as an example, you know, with the business, if you started the business, what motivated you? 
to start the business? You know, what is continuing to drive you? Are you sharing all of that information with your leadership team? If I was to go to any one of the key people in your organization who work with you and say, why, why does this business exist? And, and what's the overall purpose of the company? Could they pair it back to me, what you've just told me? Uh, those sorts of things. And then once we get a sense for the emotional side of things of what are you doing? Why are you doing it? How are you approaching it? Then I can begin to shift a little bit more toward the system side of things to say, okay, let's understand what's going on. Let's understand the gaps that exist between where you are and where you need to be. And then we can put some systems and processes in place to begin closing those gaps in order to get you where you want to be. Mm -hmm. So for those that have identified um, a clear purpose uh, in their life, what, what would be your tips for those um, that know it, want to achieve it? And yet, of course, there's the whirlwind, whirlwind of life, right? Where you plan it this way and there's all these curveballs and all the other things that you have to kind of also do uh, in the course of a day. Uh, what are time management hacks that you have shared with, uh, with your clients um, that would help them still achieve their purpose and still be able to do the other things that are also important? Okay. Uh, the, the first thing I tell people, and this is going to sound strange, I just tell them that there is no such thing as time management. You can't manage time. Time is ticking away as we're speaking right now, second by second by second. I have no control over that and neither do you. Rather than using the word time management, let's use the word ev words event control. Mm -hmm. All we can do is decide where we're going to invest the time that we have. And then we need to make sure that we are investing that time and focusing it on the achievement of our highest priority. So once you have your purpose and you wanna start moving forward with it, you have to begin asking yourself questions like, what does the attainment of this purpose look like? You know, what are the goals? What are the major goals, you know, five, 10, 15 years out from now that I'm going to have to achieve? And begin boiling them down to a point where you can answer one critical question. What must I do today, right now, in order to be able to achieve a goal that may be five years in the future? That's your most important set of tasks that you have to work on. Focus on those, tune everything else out for the time that you have. And realizing that, as you said, you get interruptions. There are things that go on in life. There are other responsibilities that you have out of building, you know, other than building a business or something like that. But you have to be able to say, okay, out of every day, this is how many hours I'm going to allocate toward the attainment of my purpose. And during that time, I'm going to stay strictly focused on my highest priorities. So when reaching crossroads uh, in life, right? I think you've mentioned um, previously that, uh, that you have a, a musical background or like you were a musician um, and versus, versus going that route of being a professional musician, where was that point in your life where you just distilled it and it was clear to you that the path is in another direction? How was that? How was that journey for you? Uh, um, it was really sort of confusing because I, I grew up in a musical family. Both my mom and dad were musicians. And so I was introduced, I started playing piano when I was three years old and, and really music was my life. 
And it wasn't until my junior year or toward the end of my junior year in high school, I was playing professionally at the time, uh, but I was also taking lessons from, uh, from a gentleman at the Hart School of Music here in Connecticut. And one Saturday morning, I went for my lesson and I said, Jim, I, I want to talk. I don't want to play today. And he said, okay. And I said, I need your honest opinion. Do I have what it takes to make it as a professional musician? And he looked at me and he said, I'll answer that question for you. But before I answer it, I'm going to tell you, you're asking the wrong question. He said, do you have what it takes to make it as a professional musician? Yes, you do. Do you have what it takes to get into the top one-tenth of 1% that are making all the money? No. And he said, I'm not saying that to put you down. I'm saying that because I'm better than you and I'm not there and I never will be. But he said, you're asking the wrong question. You really have to ask yourself, are you willing to live the lifestyle of a musician? And he said, oh, I'm married. I have two children. I never see my kids. He said, I leave home at six o'clock in the morning, Monday through Friday. I get home at 11 o'clock at night. And on Saturdays and Sundays, when everybody's having their backyard barbecues and pool parties, I'm playing performances. And he said, between my wife and I, we make a good living. She's a musician too, but we never see our children. So he said, stop and reflect on that and ask yourself, what kind of a life do you really want to live? And how does music figure into that equation? And as I thought about that, I came to the conclusion music wasn't going to do it for me, but I had no idea what the next step for me was because music had been my life. So um, I actually played with a group uh, and the fellow who was the conductor of the group and I were talking one day and he said, do you realize that musicians have a very high aptitude for mathematics and science? And I said, well, gee, how, how do you figure that? And he said, well, what is music? Music is mathematics. So when you boil it down, he said, stop and think about it. All it is is math. And he said, if you can play music, you can understand mathematics. And so I just took a wild shot and said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enroll in college and I'm going to start studying engineering. And it just turned out to be one of those things that I fell into. And to this day, I still love it. Uh, I don't do much engineering work anymore, uh, but, you know, but I really love the discipline uh, that it established in me. And from that point, I just started, you know, I started working in the technical field, but then as I got into management positions, I learned to work with people and develop a heart for people. And now I think I've got that unique combination of a heart for serving others, along with the, the technical problem solving skills to be able to help them achieve what they want in life. So Gary, have you ever thought, had you not had that conversation with that professor or with that individual, do you think you'd be where you are now? Was that that instrumental, that conversation, that instrumental uh, for you to literally um, kind of move direction from uh, the, the musical uh, field, being a musician to completely uh, different field? Would you think that your life would have been different had that conversation not happened? Just curious. You know, that, that's, that's a really hard question to answer. I don't know. I probably would have pursued the musical career. And my guess is that somewhere down the road, I would have realized that from a lifestyle perspective, it wasn't what I wanted and changed mm -hmm. course. But I don't know what that course change would have looked like. 
Uh, like you, I also grew up with musicians. So my grandfather, I grew up in my grandfather's uh, ancestral home. And there was just there were just a lot of music. He was actually an attorney by profession. But uh, he actually went the the other route where he pursued music, a lot of original composed music, etc. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting, you know what I mean, all the choices uh, that one make in their life, right? Yeah, and that that gets back to sort of the foundational conversation that we've been having on the power of purpose, because if you don't have a purpose in your life that you're trying to achieve, when you are faced with those potentially life-altering situations, how do you go about choosing? Right. Because, because if you don't have the foundation on which to reflect off of and say, gee, is this, if I take this particular pathway, is it going to take me closer to or further away from the achievement of my purpose? And if it's going to take me further away, why, why is it that I want to do that? Yeah, so it goes back to um, truly is uh, the understanding and having that clarity of one's purpose that would anchor one in uh, whatever life would, would throw at you, right? So exactly. um, having that, the choices would be a lot clearer and um, more firm in your decision. Right, uh, Gary? Yes. So with regards to one's purpose and having multi-purpose in in life, right? So um, like personally, you know, I have my shoe business, I have the insurance and and the podcast, so on and so forth. And it seems like each of those um, organizations, I have a clear purpose for each of those. But is there one that that would just be, or is it possible to have like a, a multi-purpose type of, uh, of direction? Um, I, I don't know that it's really possible to have multi-purposes. I think, I think where you're coming from is that you have distinct goals for each one of your businesses. But if you were to dig a little bit deeper and say, okay, if I were to take all of these businesses and put them in one box and look at sort of what is the global purpose? You know, what is it that, that you, Melody, are trying to achieve in life? And when you're 95 years old and you're looking back over your life, you know, answering questions like, what, you know, what sort of legacy do I want to leave? What sort of impact do I want to have had on the world? And, and even though I may have a number of very unique businesses, how do they all sort of come to, together uh, in the fulfillment of that one overall purpose. Uh, so I think that's, you know, if you dig a little bit deeper, you may find sort of a core purpose that- Overarching really, uh, yeah, purpose. Overarching purpose. The other thing that I think is important to understand when it comes to purpose is that purpose, even though you may have one solid purpose, purpose will express itself in different ways and different phases of your life. So uh, as an example, when I first got out of school and was working as an engineer, I was single, I wasn't married, I moved to a part of the country I wasn't familiar with, and the only thing I was concerned about was building my career. So I spent an ungodly amount of time at work 
just trying to learn my trade and establish my credibility with the organization. But then a few years later, I got married. And, and the scales tipped a little bit because now I had someone else in my life who I was responsible for and wanted to spend time with. And then a few years after that, the kids came. And, uh, and so the scales tipped a little bit more because I needed to be able to spend time at home. And my purpose became, you know, being a good father and, and being a for them and helping them to grow and become, you know, become good kids. And then eventually the kids left home and things have shifted back now so that I'm focused more on my career and, and, and helping others. Uh, so I think that your purpose expresses itself in different ways, but the purpose itself doesn't necessarily change. Doesn't change. Yeah. So um, as they say, the only thing constant in life is change, right? So we just have to, to evolve and evolve closer and closer uh, to, to our purpose uh, mm. in life. As a matter of fact, when uh, we connected two weeks ago, was it two weeks or three weeks ago? I was thinking back in the days, there's this book, uh, Purpose Driven Life. I'm pretty sure you've, you've Rick heard. Warren, yes. I'm back to it. Um, you know, just to kind of refresh, right? <laughs> refresh and continuously uh, learn. Um, so, so as we wrap up, uh, Gary, what would you say uh, to your younger self, knowing what you know now? Do it now, do it faster, do it better. Faster, um, now, better. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think that, um, I think that when we're, when we're young, much of the time, uh, you know, we don't have um, the self-concept, the, the self-confidence to be able to just strike out. And, and I look at that, and, and as much as it was a learning experience for me when I was younger, uh, I could have accelerated things far beyond where I am today if I had started uh, working on it 40 years ago. And for our audience out there, for those who want to connect uh, with Gary, we'll have this information on the description uh, of uh, this episode. So you'll be able to know where he'll be <laughs> and where he is. <laughs> All right. So um, that wraps up our show, Gary. Um, thank you. Thank you for uh, spending time uh, with me today. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me to come on, Melody. It's really great to connect with you. And I enjoyed our conversation very much. And for all the dreamers out there, keep believing. You got this. Till next time.